Father in heaven, we're so grateful to thee for blessing us so richly, Lord, that we could be here in thy house on this day. Blessing us, Lord, to have uh, some of our loved ones coming home for the summer and, and others um, recovering from illnesses and, and being able to see folks traveling from afar. Lord, we're, we're just so thankful for the warmth of fellowship that we can experience and the bond of brotherhood that we can see and, and partake in as we, we gather here together. Lord, we pray that our our being together would be an honor and a glory to thee as we know it will be a blessing to us. Pray that as we would meditate upon thy word in this day that your spirit would speak to us where it's particular for our needs and instructive for our walk with thee. Lord, we are mindful of those who, who aren't with us and can't be with us and those that are still recovering from surgeries and illnesses and, and all of those things. Lord, we pray that you administer to their needs in this day, that you'd give them encouragement, that you would give them peace and strength as they would navigate the, the different trials that lie before them. And Lord, because we can leave all these things in thy hand and trust that you care for them beyond what we can even ask or think, we'll give thee thanks in advance and look forward to thy blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> ask you to turn with me to the uh, book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3. You probably recall that the past, or the first two chapters of this book, um, focus heavily on the Apostle Paul laying out for the church in Colossae the, well, let's just say generally speaking, the sufficiency of Christ and the, the need for nothing else but Christ, not to need to fall back to um, religiosity or to fall back on the practices of uh, their old Jewish nature and or the things that they would have been taught by, by their teachers of old, but the reliance on Christ and, and the reliance on the power of the Spirit in their lives. And so there's an interesting thing that happens, and, and I was looking at, I found this in a commentary, admittedly, I didn't pull this aside myself, but notice something that seems to be typical of the Apostle Paul, where he in other passages as well, like you can see this clearly in Romans, where he, he describes doctrinal points at the front end of his, his epistle, the front end of his letter, and, and speaks to them, can I say, maybe in, in more general terms, in, in describing the doctrinal principles. And then you'll see somewhere in a, a mid-chapter, he'll have a therefore or an if-then, and then it transitions into practical details of spiritual living, as if to say, here's the concept, now let's talk about the details of how we actually implement it. And what's interesting is that's exactly what happens in, in Colossians here. In chapter 3, after finishing up all of these details, of, and I'll just run over a couple of them here. Um, in chapter 2, as ye have therefore received Christ, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, Beware lest any man spoil with philosophy or vain deceit after the traditions of men. And I'm just continuing to skip down. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. 
Again, foundational, critical, the cornerstones of what we believe and, and, and what our faith is built upon and the reliance of the Spirit, but doesn't really speak to the nuts and bolts of, of, of living. However, in chapter 3, we start here, and this is where we'll, we'll read all of chapter 3. Um, and it actually, I think we're going to continue into the beginning of chapter 4, uh, like six verses into chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the, hand, the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then, she, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge, excuse me, renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Jew, Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God, which rule in your heart, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ." But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is equal, excuse me, that which is just and equal, knowing that ye have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving, withal praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, 
that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Stopping with verse 6 of chapter 4. So, hopefully you can see it as well. We have a chapter here, a chapter plus here, that differs from what we saw at the beginning of the book and goes from doctrinal descriptions to to more life applications. Um, As in, what does it mean? I talked to you about the sufficiency of Christ. I talked to you about how you you don't need to be shackled to this old ritualistic um, system. However, if you're not going to be shackled to that, if you're going to be risen with Christ, that's, if you're going to be risen with Christ, in years past, and in any other time, I guess I should say, that I've read through this passage, I've almost pulled this aside and used these verses as, as a standalone and read it as, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Focusing on the the risen part, being separate from our old nature, that being set apart from our old nature and, and the um, temptations that go with that, or the, uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that, the temptations that would come with that. And while certainly we're going to talk about that, what struck me here was what, he was what I take him to be trying to emphasize based on what happened before is if you then be risen with Christ, if you're going to be risen with Christ, instead of being controlled or dictated or directed by um, rituals, if you're, going to be, if you're going to be risen with Christ, in the sufficiency of Christ, in the work of His Spirit's direction in your life, if you're going to be directed that way, if you're going to be risen that way, if you're going to be empowered that way, set your affections or seek those things which are above. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. The other way that they were being taught was to set their affections, set their desires, set their objectives on things of the earth, on things that they could control, on rituals, on sacrifices, on performing things according to the law, performing things according to the custom. And he's saying, if you're not going to, that's not what, I've already told you you don't need to do that. But if you're going to be risen with Christ, If you're going to trust in Him, set your affections on things above. Not on those things of the earth. Separated from all those things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. If you're going to follow after Christ, if you're truly going to rely on Him and allow His Spirit's empowerment to direct your life. You have to separate from all those things of the earth and set your affections above. And rely on those things above. We'll talk about that a little bit farther, uh, a little bit later. But one image that I, I was hoping you can think about with me, and we'll talk about an exact or an actual experience a little bit later. I'm fascinated by flight. Like, I would love to have been a pilot. I, I, I've, there's a lot of reasons why that could never have been the case. Um, simple physics being one of them. Uh, but 
I would love to, to fly an airplane. I, I mean, flight simulator from the time we had a Dell 486 PC was fascinating to me. And I, I would take the, it wasn't even a joystick, we had to do it with our, our mouse, and that was even a little too sensitive. So I would be with the arrow buttons trying to fly a Sopwith camel and doing barrel rolls with that thing. And I thought, I would love to fly an airplane. And those of you that know me know I go down rabbit holes of documentaries on old airplanes, fighter jets. If it has to do with aviation, I am painfully obsessed. But there's something interesting about aviation. It's, it has to be the most free experience, right? To be able to fly like an eagle, fly like a bird, and just go wherever you want to go. But those of you that have been, I've never been in the cockpit, but I've listened when you're on the plane to the, you can, you can hear the tower on one of those channels as you're listening, you know, you dial in on your armrest, you can hear the tower sometimes. And they say, adjust to this elevation and come to this heading and come to that heading. And I had to think, in a place that seems like it has so much freedom, there is so much restriction. There's an app you can download. Now I'm really off the reservation here. There's an app you can download called um, Flight Tracker. A couple of years ago during COVID, they, you might remember they did a, a flyover Syracuse for all the medical personnel, and there was a, a P-51 Mustang. Yeah, P-51 Mustang, and I can't, Tim, remember what the other one was, but he got us onto the um, parking garage, the top of Kraus, and we could watch it because they were going to come fly around the city. And we stood on top of the, the parking garage, Ethan and Tim and I, and this thing wouldn't come. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. And believe it or not, there's an app. You could dial in and find that plane, both these two planes. You could see where they were coming from. You could track them as they crossed Auburn and did a barrel, not a barrel roll, did a, a circle around Auburn and then came. Like the amount of information that you can gain is, or that you can access is amazing. But if you look at that app, you see how many planes are in the air at any given time and how much coordination it must take, how much restriction there must be for the lanes that they're allowed to fly in and the elevations that they need to come to. And what I was struck by was, again, in, in a place where you would feel that there would be more freedom than anywhere else in the world, in any, any other experience that you can have, how much restriction there still needs to be. Just set that aside for a second. When we come back to the Apostle Paul, and he's, he's describing, before, in the past chapters, he's described this, this freedom that we have in Christ, the, the reliance that we have upon him, and now setting our affections on, on things above, not on things of the earth. And then he dives into some very specific things. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Stating simple facts. As his children, when he comes back, you will appear with him in glory. Let's, right on the surface, I want you to know this. I need this to be foundational, anchor point, um, confidence that you have. Mortify, therefore, because of that fact, because you are his children, because you are setting your affections on things above, therefore, mortify your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetous which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. 
If your affections are set on things above, if your relationship with Christ is directed by the Spirit and your confidence is in Him and your eternal state is settled in heaven and when He shall appear, ye shall also appear with Him in glory. There are specific things that need to happen in your life. First and foremost, mortifying all of these unclean members which were a sometimes past in your mortal body. And we could say, well, no, 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 that doesn't really apply. I mean, he's, he's saying that we should be careful, but that, you know, it's possible that our old nature would have had these things there, but maybe that doesn't exist for everybody. No, he says, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Our old nature possesses at its foundation the desire for these sinful acts, for sinful activities. And as we've heard many, many times, if we, don't, that we have to starve our old nature. If we do not starve our old nature, if we do not live in the Spirit, set our affections on things above, starve the old nature, these things, which we also walked some time when we lived in them, will try to raise their ugly head. And it's not that the Apostle Paul is not saying that, well, you're, that, that Christ is not enough, that, his, he's not, that he's now somehow insufficient, but he's saying... That if we need to set our affections, we need to set our minds and our hearts on things above, in the Spirit, effectively. Live in reliance of the Spirit so that we are able to mortify these things. But now ye have also put off the, but now also put off ye these. So there's additional things that are going to want to raise their ugly head. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another. See that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. He's saying it's not just as simple as recognizing that Christ is all we need, but that Christ being all we need requires us to live in him in the power of his spirit, and to deny and starve and put to death, put off this old man with his deeds. And unfortunately, that's not a comfortable thing, thing for, for us. That's not a comfortable thing for society. That's not a comfortable thing for a, a world that says we can have it however we want. The, the first two chapters of this book are, are great for modern Christianity. All you need is Jesus. True. True. All we need is Jesus, but if we don't take him at his word, if we don't take all that he has offered, if we don't rely fully upon him, if we don't surrender completely to him, then we have not set our affections on things above, first and foremost, and we have not put off this old man with his deeds and put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge of the image of him that created him. It's interesting. If you read, go back to chapter 1. I never read it this way before, but I was looking at this again last night. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 21, it says, In you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, 
Yet now hath he reconciled. There's, there's no more war. You who were, there was a conflict before between you and God. He's reconciled that now. In the body of his flesh, through death, Christ's death, to present you holy and unblameable and reprovable in his sight. And I, and I take that and we put that on a bulletin board and said it's so beautiful. If, that's a fact, if, we continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not a mo- moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made minister. I am the king of snap. I've talked about sticky notes on my desk a couple of weeks ago. I'm the king of taking a sticky note and writing a verse down and sticking it to my monitor. Most of the ones that I do that with don't have ifs written in them. And we have to be careful about how these things are pulled together. I'm not, I, I'm not trying to say that our uh, contingencies in our faith or, or whatever, uh, I, I want to be careful how I say that. What I'm trying to emphasize is, I don't remember who used the, the analogy once, um, no one can pluck us out of the hand of God, but we can jump. Well, certainly nobody's intentionally jumping out of the hand of God. But as I look around me, and I see the world around me, and I see the experiences that we as believers make, and the, the influences that are around us, I'm, rem- I'm and maybe it's because I'm a dad becoming more sensitive to the influences on my kids. But I'm more and more aware of the vigilance that I need to have in my life. The vigilance I have to have in my life and we need to have in our lives as believers to monitor the things around us, the influences around us. I want to be free like a bird. I want to be free like a fighter pilot flying out over the ocean, don't tell me I need to come to heading whatever. I want to do it however I want to do it. I want my kids to be able to pick whatever school they want to go to, whatever path of education they want, majors, minors, whatever. I want everybody to be able to do whatever they want to do. But that's not what freedom in Christ means. That does, that's not what true freedom is. We've talked about this before. Being free in Christ is being a slave to Christ. Well, we don't like that word. I wish there was a different word I could use. I'm sorry. I don't know what other one. I'll work on that. We'll try to come up with a better way to say that. But a slave to righteousness, a slave to Christ, a, a servant of Christ. I don't want to be a servant of anybody. If you ask the kids what do they want to grow up to be, they're not going to say a servant. They're not going to say a slave. But if we can, what we need to be able to do is to describe the relationship that we can have with the Father through the Spirit as we set our affections on things above and to describe what a blessing, what an immeasurable blessing it is to live in the peace of relationship with Christ. Having put on this new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, Let's talk about some of the good stuff. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. As the elect of God, put on, therefore, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, 
meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are also called in one body, and be thankful. All of these examples, all of these actions, technically actions that we need to take, attributes that we need to have found in our lives, I love that it says we have to put them on. We have to put them on. We have to exercise them. We have to develop them. We have to teach them, cultivate them. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit last week. Fruits of the Spirit only exist as we live in the Spirit and exercise our lives in the Spirit. It would be wonderful. Well, you know what? Maybe probably wouldn't be. We think it would be wonderful as a product of our salvation, as a product of our life in Christ, if, this, if these things just, you, you dunked in the water, you came back out and you just oozed all of these good things. That it was candy canes and rainbows all the time. Love and kindness and charity and all of these things. There wouldn't be a quarrel against any. If, if something even came up, it would just go away so peacefully. That's not life. That's not life in a fallen world. What's more beautiful is the opportunity to learn these things. To learn kindness. To learn charity. To learn how to navigate, if any have a quarrel against any, you know, peacefully solve those things. When we do, we build relationship. When we do, we build uh, maturity and strength and growth. Doesn't mean it's, doesn't mean it's easy all the time. Doesn't mean that it's not a measure of needing to go back and ask for forgiveness at different times. Verse 15, it says, and let, the, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Well, why can't it just do it anyways? Why can't the peace of God just rule in my heart all the time? You know what, frankly, why can't the peace of God just rule in your heart all the time? Because then I'm sure it would rule in mine. If you were at peace my loved one or my friend or my coworker. if you were at peace all the time, then I'm sure I'd be much more peaceful too. But we're called. It says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you are called in one body. And how does that happen? By being thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay, we just, can't we just teach and encourage in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? No, 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 we have to admonish too sometimes. It says we have to admonish. That means that there was something that needed to be admonished about. It means that this is not all perfect. We're not all going to be perfect all the time. But that as a family of believers, as a family, what is it, nuclear family? As, as my family, my 104 Westmont family, there's going to be times where there's teaching and admonishing that needs to happen. At our 5081 Ball Road family, there's going to be teaching and admonishing that's going to need to happen at times. At our EMU Eastern Camp family, there's go- wherever the family of God exists, there's teaching and encouraging and sometimes admonishing that needs to happen. 
singing together, though, with grace in our hearts toward the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Tie that together with set your affections on things above. If our lives are lived that way, are lived in such a way, is that we are giving thanks, doing all things unto the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God the Father by him, because we have set our affections on things above. How should that affect our earthly walk? What does that look like? I, I, was, I was struck by this. I mean, should, we shouldn't be those people with our heads in the clouds. Right? But if my focus, what's the, how does it say? I look into the hills for once cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. I think of the Reverend Mother in Sound of Music when she's looking out the window and she's looking up at the... It, it's, it's, it's a movie. It's not the right mountain. But she's looking out the... She's supposed to be looking out at the Untersberg, I think. And she's looking out at this mountain and saying, look, I look unto the hills from once cometh my help. I mean, we would look pretty foolish as a people of faith walking through this world just with our heads in the, in the sky. But if my affections, if my life is focused on things above and not on things of the earth, if I'm not distracted, if, I'm, if I am motivated by those things of eternal significance, if I'm motivated by those things of a spiritual impact, as opposed to those things of the earth, of a physical impact, if I'm worried about, you know, i got to put food on the table, I have to make sure that the power bill is paid, and it's fun, actually, the kids wonder, they wonder where all the money goes. Well, look at all the different things that have to be paid for. You can't, when you get an allowance, you have, they don't get an allowance, but when you get money for something, all of these different things have a cost to them. If you want to buy something, it has a cost. Did you know water costs something? That was a shocker. They did not realize that you pay for water. But then they yell at me because I use more water than they do. But focusing on those menial little things, they have to be taken care of, right? They have to be cared for. But is my affection placed on them? Is my distraction placed on them? I love the springtime. We're getting to do so many things with the kids and from sports activities and, and going to open houses at school. And I love walking through the school, walking through the school and seeing their friend interactions and bumping into teachers now that we've had for multiple kids. And you get to see the kids, the teachers, kids are now in our kids class. And it's such a blessing. I'm so thankful. But if my affection, if my focus in life is too much on that and not on those spiritual things, not on in, in trying to see how those interactions are going to be a witness for Christ. Are my interactions with my kids in those environments, with my family in those environments, going to be a witness for Christ or a witness for a family that's just trying to, you know, hobnob and rub shoulders with, with everybody and make sure that, you know, we've got all the connections? Am I worried about these connections, earthly connections, or these connections, heavenly connections? And the Apostle Paul was, was trying to, to, to hammer these things down, to give them practical descriptions. He gets into it a little bit deeper now, talking with, let me be very practical with you. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, fathers, servants, 
All of these giving specific direction as to how relationships, earthly relationships, should take place in the context of living a life in the Spirit. And so that they would be witnesses to the world around them. Servants. How are, your, how, you, how are you as servants, as employees, to interact with your bosses? In the same way bosses, how are you to interact with your employees? What is that witness supposed to look like? In whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. I've got that part written. I didn't write the part down, not with eye service, as men pleasers. Because, you know, I could do it heartily, but I'm probably going to have a little bit of eye service. I have certainly had eye service and lip service. Maybe not to them, but about them. But certainly not the witness that Paul was describing here as one who has set their affections above. Anybody see the news article a couple weeks ago about the passenger who, li- la- passenger who landed the plane in Florida? I heard a yes. Just imagine, okay? I'm going to give you two examples. One, one of my best friends has a helicopter and took me for a ride in a helicopter. Never been in a helicopter before. This helicopter looks like it's right off the the set of mash. It's painted yellow, but it looks like it's set off the set of mash. It doesn't look like it should fly. But my friend took me up in this helicopter and flew us over Mansfield, and I mean, one of the greatest experiences of my life. And flying around in that little thing, I just kept thinking, it is a miracle that this does not fall. It just fall straight out of the air. Ash is nodding her head. All of our children, excluding Matt, I said, the two older kids actually went in this helicopter. It doesn't have doors. I mean, it, the, the fact that it stays in the air is just a miracle. And thankfully, my friend is a pretty healthy guy. But it crossed my mind as we were hovering over Mansfield. God forbid Tyler, Tyler gets, Tyler has a heart attack. Because we're going to fall like a rock. This thing is going to just fall out of the sky. Now, little did I know that that's actually not how it happens, that counter-rotation, and it's pretty fascinating, and he did it and showed me how it happens. But a pilot knowing how to fly that thing is, is fascinating. It's hands, it's feet. There's so much going on in that little mixer that keeps it in the air. And I thought to myself, I cannot imagine what would happen if I, like, you can't just walk into this thing. You can't steal a helicopter, okay? You can't just walk in and hotwire a helicopter. And that experience has been with me to realize how much skill it takes to do something like that. Then I read this article and and saw it on the news. On May 10th, uh, coming back from the Bahamas, there was a nine-passenger Cessna flying out over the Atlantic and two passengers, I believe it was two passengers and a pilot, and all of a sudden, the plane starts to go into a nosedive. And one of the passengers, his name was Darren Harrison, rushes up to the pilot. I mean, a nine-passenger Cessna, I'm guessing there's probably, I don't know that there's a door between the 
It's, no, Ash is telling me no, there was no door. And so the, he finds the pilot slunched over the yoke, and the plane is in a nosedive. And Darren went and pulled the man back, pulled the, pass, or the, pulled the pilot back, and jumped into the co-pilot's seat, and pulled back on the yoke. And then what do you do? Imagine you're this man. What do you do? There's a radio somewhere. We've all been on a school bus, so there's probably a radio. Maybe, oh, no, no, you put the head, headset on, right? It's probably a headset. Puts the headset on. I would have been screaming like a banshee. The man puts on the headset and says, our pilot is, uh, is unresponsive. I don't know how to fly a plane. And so a tower picks him up, still over the Atlantic Ocean, okay? You've pulled yourself out of a nosedive, but you're still flying a tiny little plane over the ocean, and the person asks, okay, well, what do you see? He says, well, I think I see the coast. And so the, the air traffic controller comes back and says, okay, let's get your wings level, just get yourself adjusted wings level, and follow the, course, follow the coast north or south, because we can't find you. Because that flight tracker app is full of planes all over South Florida, going back and forth over the ocean, going in and out. It's full of planes. They can't identify what a little nine-passenger Cessna is doing, especially when the guy can't even read off altitude. Um, I kept saying elevation before. Altitude, bearing. He doesn't have any idea. They finally locate him. Another air traffic controller is brought in who is, coincidentally, a... Flight instructor. Has never flown this kind of plane, but is a flight instructor. Asks the man, um, what does it look like? What does the, the dash look like? What does the cockpit look like? And is able to determine what kind of plane it is. The man pulls up online what the dash or the cockpit looks like on that nine-passenger Cessna and says, okay, well, let me see. And so he's telling Darren, Bobby Morgan, by the way, is the controller. Darren Okay, do this. Come to this heading. I'm going to move you around here. And Darren is just obedient. Pulls back when he says pull back. Pushes forward when he says pull forward. Comes this way. Come that way. Read the little digits on the, the cockpit to tell you where you go. They direct him. Uh, they finally find him over Boca Raton, which cracked me up. I can just imagine, okay, I'm passing a big purple hotel. Um, and I, Okay, that must mean you're heading north. Well, let me find West Palm Beach is the biggest airport up there. We're going to get you the biggest spot to focus on. And so they have him approach West Palm Beach. Look for the biggest object in the sky or in the, the ground before you and slowly but surely get him to descend down. And one comment Darren made was... Um, when I get this on the ground, I'm not going to know how to stop it. One of the first things he tells Bobby when they're out over the oceans is, when I get this on the ground, I don't know how to stop it. Effectively, I don't know how to hit the brakes. Talk about faith. I don't know what it was that Bobby Morgan said to Darren that gave him the confidence that, that we're going to land this thing, this is going to be okay. But his thought process was, when I get down, I don't know how to hit the brakes. And I really don't feel like taking off again. Long story short, they land the plane. The last 15 seconds for Bobby were pretty traumatic because, and I didn't know this until I read some of the stuff about 
um, Captain Sully landing on the Hudson. But at some point, planes disappear from radar. When they get too low, they don't see them anymore. And so they either crashed or they didn't crash. And you have no idea. And so Bobby is sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And he says, Darren, how, how did we do? And he's like, oh, we're, we're on the ground. Effectively, I, know how to, I figured out how to stop. And, it said, and Bobby said he, he just cried. Just burst into tears. From adrenaline to tears in that fast. What does that have to do? It's a fun story, right? I'm sure that story is going to be used for other sermons at other times. And this probably is a weird way to apply it to this. But what struck me was the one thing I want to do, one reason I wanted to fly and wanted to go and have all of that is, is just a little unlimited freedom to do whatever you wanted to do. Go wherever you wanted to be, upside down, inverted, outverted. I, I would probably be sick all over the place. But that's not the reality. The reality is you've got to live within certain physical parameters. Even doing that as a commercial pilot or a recreational pilot at this point, there's rules to the road that we have to follow. The freedom is there. You can sure do whatever you want, but you're going to crash. You go however high you want to go. You could fly. You know what? Have at it. Fly as close to the White House as you'd like to fly to the White House and see what happens. Start dive bombing in New York City and see, see what happens. We can have the freedom to do whatever we want. But there are consequences along the way. Rather than have that analogy for my life, rather than have the analogy of like, I'm just going to play fast and loose with the rules in my spiritual life, what was so beautiful to me was, what about that relationship between Darren and Bobby? God, I haven't flown this plane before. This, this could be the, this is the experience of a lifetime. This is the experience of a lifetime, but I've not flown this way before. The difference is that our co-pilot doesn't have to Google what our cockpit looks like. He knows exactly what the cockpit looks like. He knows exactly what our heading is supposed to be. He knows exactly what our altitude is supposed to be, knows what runway we're supposed to land on, knows if that's supposed to be a touch and go or if we're supposed to come right in and hit the brakes. Can you imagine how stupid it would have been for Darren to say, nah, you know what, I'd like to turn around and go back to Fort Lauderdale because that's probably a nicer airport. I don't want to go to West Palm. You know, I'm supposed to go to Orlando, but I'd rather spend some time in Fort Lauderdale. Let me, let me pull a bank here and try to land somewhere else. When we deny the power of the Spirit in our lives, when we say, no, 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 no not right now, that's effectively what we're doing. We're saying that my solo flight in this plane out over the ocean is going to be my joyride. And even though God knows exactly where I'm supposed to be and how to get there and how to get me on the ground successfully, peacefully, I'm going to take it into my own hands. And the saddest part, for, the saddest part is in this world, there are a lot of times that that happens and you're soloing. There's nobody else in the plane with you. And then it's just your consequences. You know what? You crash, you crash. That's on you. I'm not soloing anymore. I'm not soloing anymore. Most of you are not soloing anymore. 
And when our spiritual life comes into peril, when we take our walk into our own hands, there are other passengers on the plane. And me, as a dad, I have to give account for that now. If I start joyriding with my spiritual house, I'm giving account for that. As a minister preaching the word, I'm giving account for that. And as I was reading this and, and, and seeing how the Apostle Paul broke these two pieces out in the last couple of weeks, that, that analogy and that story of this, this plane continued to, to echo in my ears and give me, give me an encouragement, for one. Let me leave it, let's end positive. I've been a little negative. Encouragement. He knows our cockpit. He knows our plane. He knows our flight agenda. He knows where we're supposed to be and how he's going to get us there. He knows of the storms that are in the way, knows how much gas is left in the tank, knows to fly us up and over or around or whatever has to happen. Doesn't mean there's not going to be turbulence. Turbulence. Doesn't mean that there aren't going to be arrested landings at times. But how does the song go? He holds the key to all unknown and I am glad. Boy, I should be a lot more than glad. I pray that I can live my life in that peace.